We're going to be uh, speaking and talking about spiritual warfare today, and um, I want to invite you to just pray with me at the beginning of this. I, um, I'm just feeling it this morning, you know? Um, and so, so I want to invite you to pray with me and for me as I, as I prepare to share what God has in his word today, that, um, that he would just speak clearly, um, and that I would get out of the way and he would come to the forefront. So join me in a word of prayer. Father, we come before you uh, this morning. We just want to know your wisdom. We want to know your truth. We want to come and see what you've written in your word, and we want to apply it to our lives and um, recognize we have an adversary, an enemy who doesn't want us to know the truth, who doesn't want us to walk in freedom, and who doesn't want us to um, just experience your joy and effective, fruitful living. And so, um, God, I just pray that you would quiet all the noises and distractions, that you would just, uh, just still our hearts this morning and prepare us to respond. God, I pray that you would just give me the right words uh, to speak. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, if you will turn to your Bibles, uh, in your Bibles, to uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 6. We're actually going to be, as Keith mentioned, we're going to be concluding our study of Ephesians today. And it's been really, uh, really rich. I've enjoyed it uh, going through, and we've been looking at it through this lens of discipleship, how all the things that Paul shows us in this letter to the Ephesians that if you dig into this, it will show you how to live your life in, in every sphere, in the public sphere, uh, in the church in the world, in your home, and in particular in your life in relationship with God that, that there's teaching here that will help you to develop all those areas so that you can be one consistent person in every area of your life. And so Paul began with this incredible description of who Jesus is and what he has done, how because of Jesus and in Christ alone, because of what he has accomplished, uh, that we stand right before God, that we're adopted as sons and daughters, that we're given all the blessings of having a relationship with him. It's this incredible, awesome, encouraging, powerful thing. He says, you are children of God. You've been adopted by him. You're part of the family. He's the creator of the universe, and yet he loves you. And, and so because of all that, he calls us to pursue unity within the church with our brothers and sisters, to, to live a unified life, to, to seek peace with one another. And he calls us to go out into the world and to remain pure, not to be stained by the things of the world, but, but to walk in purity, to walk in a different kind of way, to walk in the way that God has uh, planned and desired for us to live. And then within our homes, to have this, this mutual loving submission, this, this relationship where we love each other, we submit and we, and we die for each other the way that Christ died for the church. And so he's, he's laid all this out, and, and especially on a Sunday morning as you sit here and you're inspired by it, you say, wow, this sounds doable. It's, it's hard. I recognize I'm a sinner, but, but I can do this. I can work at this. I can, I can see this. I can see this coming uh, to fruition. And, and what Paul wants to tell us here at the end, all of a sudden he seems to really shift gears into a totally different territory. And you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Um, but what he wants us to know is, hey, this, this isn't happening just in a vacuum. This isn't happening. It's not just you against your inner, inner struggles and your inner inabilities, but there's also an adversary. There's a spiritual war that's taking place uh, that there's an enemy who desires to, to prevent us from living the life that God would desire for us to live. And so it's an uphill battle. It's a struggle. But the good news is that he's equipped us to take on this struggle in his power and through his might. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And so I want you to, to turn Ephesians uh, chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 10 and read down through the end. So let me read this for you, and then we'll break it up into pieces and kind of take a look at, at what Paul's saying to us. It says in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, 
against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing, Tychicus, uh, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him for you, to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Uh, it's a beautiful conclusion to this letter that he's written. It's, it's encouraging, it's inspiring. And it begins in verse 10 with this, this clear mandate. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Ultimately, this is not about our strength. It's not about willing ourselves up. It's not self-empowerment. It's not self-encouragement. It's not self-discovery. But it's, it's learning to rely in the strength of our creator, of our God. And if you guys are anything like me, I, I, I know that when I struggle, when I find life difficult, when I'm failing... It's because I'm trying to do things too much in my own strength. Uh, as, your, as your pastor, as the pastor of this church, I can be tempted to use the talents and skills and the abilities that God's given uh, to be, I got this, God. I can do this. I can, I can make this happen. I can, I can organize this. I can study this. I can do this thing. Uh, but it's far less than what God would desire for me in my ministry when I, when I rely on my own strength and I don't continually go to him in prayer and say, God, what do you want me to do? Do you guys experience the same thing in your own life? Do you ever get to a point where you're struggling and you're just kind of like, man, life is hard. And then you kind of pause and you think, how much have I really been going to God? How much have I been digging into the Word? How much have I been praying? Every Christian uh, feels guilt over this, right? We all struggle with like, man, I know I should be reading my Bible more. I know I should be praying more. But, but, but acknowledging that doesn't take away the burden to do it, right? <laughs> it just sets the goal out in front of us that we need to continue to, to seek to live in the strength of the Lord, not in our own strength. So we're going to see three things here. We see that we have an enemy who's seeking to make us fail. We're going to see that God has equipped us to combat this enemy. And then we're going to see that our active duty is to pray, that we've been sent out on the duty of prayer. And so let's begin with, we have an enemy who is seeking to make us fail. We see this in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The devil is a real, personal, uh, evil being. Uh, so it's important to recognize that, that he's real, that he exists, um, but he's not equal with God. This is not the yin and yang of the universe, right? This is not the good battling the evil, uh, trying to find balance. God is the creator. He's everlasting. He's omniscient. He's all-powerful. He is great and mighty. Uh, the devil was a created being. He was an angel who wanted to aspire to, to take God's place. 
and because of that pride, he was fallen, he was thrown from heaven, him and a third of the angels. And so he's a spiritual being, he's powerful, he's personal, uh, but he's not equal with God. And in fact, Jesus has already defeated him on the cross. And so we need to, to come in with this recognition. Now, the people in Ephesus would have understood this really well. In Acts 19, we see that uh, when Paul came and preached the gospel, uh, they came to recognize that the name of Jesus was powerful, and there were Jewish uh, exorcists in the area. And so there was spiritual activity happening in Ephesus. And so some of the exorcists said, hey, this name Jesus seems to be working. Let's try that out. And so they go. Uh, the seven sons of this one priest, Sceva, go to this house, and they, they go to cast out a demon, and the, and the demon uh, that's in this, uh, this man looks at him and says, hey, I know who Paul is, and I know who Jesus is. I don't know who you guys are, <laughs> and uh, you're not using this name properly. And so he beats them up and sends them bloody running from the house. And so this freaks out the people of Ephesus. And so they bring all their magic books and their, their spells and things, and they burn them in the town square. And so this area, obviously, uh, when he says the devil is real, they're like, uh, yeah, we know. <laughs> we've, we've seen what he can do. We've experienced it. We've dabbled in messing around with him. And so in their culture, this would not have been a shocking message. Some of you today in our culture, in our, our time, are like, okay, yeah, the devil, right? Uh, you kind of roll your eyes at it. You think like, uh, you know, yeah, whatever. They used to believe that back in the day before they became educated like we are, before they became wise and knowledgeable like we are today, right? And so, so the danger for us is to undervalue uh, the workings of the devil. And so if we want to understand his schemes, uh, one, of, one, one of the tools that's, uh, that exists is C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, and in it uh, he describes writings from like a junior demon to a senior demon. Now it's, it's fictional, but he lays out in there the schemes of the enemy and all these ways that he tries to deceive those that he comes in contact with. And in the book, essentially what C.S. Lewis says is the devil is equally happy if we obsess with him, if we think the devil is around every corner, if, if every mistake and every trip up is the devil in it, if we're fearful of him, if we're obsessed with him, he likes that because it distracts us from God. And if we say, ah, oh, the devil doesn't exist, I'm a rational, logical, scientific human being, I don't believe in those sorts of things anymore, he's equally happy with that. He doesn't care. Either way is fine with him as long as we're distracted from worshiping God. And so whether you come in as someone who sees the devil around every corner or you're someone who doesn't believe in the devil, I want you to know that the devil's fine with that. <laughs> he's happy with that. But what God wants us to know and what he's communicating through Paul is that we have a spiritual adversary who's seeking uh, to prevent us from being effective, to, to distract us and deceive us where he can. The word that's used here, uh, diabolos, we understand it like diabolic. Uh, but it has in it this idea of the, the prone to slander, slanderous, accusing falsely. He's the great accuser that he comes and accuses God's people. He attempts to deceive us if he can. He twists God's words uh, in our hearts and our minds. And so when he went to Eve, he took something God had said. God said, you can eat from any tree in the garden except for this one tree. Because if you do it, you'll surely die. And, and the devil comes and says, hey, did God say you can't eat anything? <laughs> so he takes it. He takes what God said and he just twists it a little bit to deceive her. And then... What she communicates back to him is not accurate. It's not right. And so it begins this spiral towards rebellion and disobedience. And that's how the devil works. He schemes against us. It talks about rulers and authorities and cosmic powers and spiritual forces. And so we've got to understand that uh, we're not battling against flesh and blood. Uh, you know, recently in the news, there's been a lot of things that have, have, have resounded around this. One was the, the shootings in Charleston, right? And there's a flesh and blood person that went and did a horrible thing, but who's acting under the spirit of racism that exists in our country, the spirit of, of, of separation, the spirit of, of thinking 
that you're better than another person. And there's a spiritual force at work in that that goes deeper than one person's actions. It's, a, it's, it's, it's something that's oppressive in our country that we need to, uh, to root out. And the only thing that is going to change it, no amount of discussion and self-discovery and, and reconciliation, all those things are great, but only the gospel is going to root that evil out of our heart because it's spiritual in nature. And so we condemn it. We condemn the act. We condemn the racism. But we recognize that at its deepest calls, there's a spiritual force at work that recognizes that division pulls us apart and keeps us from being unified in the way that God wants us to be. Lastly here, I'll just say that he talks about us wrestling this enemy. So it's like this idea of hand-to-hand combat. We're not, we're not doing drone attacks from the safety of our living room, right? We're not, we're not battling the, the enemy over the Internet, although some of us think that we can, and we're trying to do that, right? But, but this is a face-to-face. This is a battle. This is a death grip rolling around, no holds barred. You can bite. You can kick. You can scratch. That We're wrestling with him. Are you wrestling? And so what we see here is that Paul lists out, Uh, We have an enemy, but God has equipped us to combat this enemy. We don't need to fear this enemy because God has given us what we need to combat his schemes and his devices. And so we want to walk through each one and kind of talk about what it is and then how the the schemes of the devil try and combat that or come against it. Before that, we see in verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all, to stand firm. It says this over and over again, to stand, to stand. Jesus has gone out. Uh, aggressively and won the battle. Our call is to stand firm, is to hold fast to the truth. Uh, this time of year, I think about going to the ocean, to the beach, down the shore. If you guys are around here, I'm not, I don't go down the shore because I didn't grow up here, so I don't know what that means. But, but, but we go to the ocean, and, uh, and it's one of these things that there's, I'm sure you guys all do it. You like to go, and you stand a couple feet into the water, and you just allow the waves to crash against you, and then you feel them pulling you out. And it comes, and you pull it, but you just like to stand there in that feeling of standing firm, Right? And because most of us are adults, we can handle that. Sometimes a really big wave will come and knock you on your butt, right? Uh, but the thing is, it's universal. So our kids like to do that too. So I've got three daughters, and they all love to come and just stand right in front of me and have me hold their hands. And they stand there just smiling, laughing against the powers of the sea and just stand firm. But they're standing firm because I've got their hands, right? If I let go of them and I walk away, how long is it going to be before they're swept out, right? Uh, You felt the power of the ocean, the currents. And it's the same picture that that we need to stand firm. And if we try and do it like a kid, like a two-year-old in our own strength, eventually a big enough wave is going to come that's going to sweep us out. So we've got to be holding on to the hands of the Father. We've got to be holding on to God's hands. Say, like, I'm going to stand firm, but I know you've got my back. I know you're not going to let anything happen to me. Uh, That you've got me. So that's the picture that I want you to have in your mind as as you think about this. So the first thing he says that in verse 14, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Now I'm wearing a belt this morning and this is what we think of uh, when we, your belt might not be as cool as mine, right? But, but we, <laughs> we think about belts that we wear, right? And so, but this is not the picture uh, in, in the military kind of sense. A belt was almost more like a girdle. And I know I just took all the coldness out of it for all you guys by thinking about it like a girdle, right? But it's this thing that comes on, it straps onto your body in a really powerful way and so that you can sheathe your sword in there, You can put your breastplate attaches to it, your leg armor, all these things attached to it. It's the central, it's the core. And what he says is that we need to put on the belt of truth, that everything is undergirded by the truth. And this is so powerful because the devil is the deceiver, right? If we don't know what the truth is, then it's so easy for him to deceive us. He can come and just twist it and we'll be like, well, yeah, that sounds right. That feels right. That looks right. Yeah, sure. If we don't know the word of God and how do we know the truth? He's revealed it to us. This is his word. This is his revealed word. And so 
this, uh, as big as this book is, it doesn't deal with every single thing, but it gives us principles, and it speaks clearly to so many of the things uh, that we deal with in our life. Do you know God's Word? Are you standing on this as your Word of truth? I've led a couple discovery classes in the past few weeks, and what I tell them throughout the whole thing is I say, whatever we're going to talk about, whatever we're going to say today, whatever things, if I say something you disagree with, if there's something, it comes back to this. This is where our discussion centers. It centers on the Word of God. How does what we believe interact with the Word of God? Are we being faithful to what He has taught us? That's why when we baptize, we baptize by immersion. We baptize believers who've made a profession of faith because we believe it's the most biblically sound way to baptize someone. And so I want to challenge you today. Is this, is this your belt? Is the Word of God the belt of truth that you hinge everything upon? Now, the scheme of the devil is to, uh, to say that truth is relative, that there's half-truths, that, that, that to, to twist or take one part out of context or, or emphasize God's love over God's holiness, uh, to take a, a piece of it. One of the incredible schemes that the devil has is he's convinced us that we're a very logical, rational, fact-based society, right? Like, hey, I, 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 and so our society says, I don't believe in God because I can't observe him. I can't see him. I can't measure him. I can't, I can't tangibly interact with him. And so, therefore, he doesn't exist because of that. But at the same time, while they're rooted in saying we're about facts and rationale and logic, our society is rooted in this completely contradictory idea that truth is relative, what you believe is good for you, what I believe is good for me. If that works for you, that's cool. If that works for you, you can do that. It's the most um, illogical kind of thing that I can imagine because when we die and we will all die, something is going to happen. We evaporate into nothingness, as some people believe. We get reincarnated, as some people believe. Or as the Word of God says, we go to stand before our Maker and we have to give an account for our life. And we have to reconcile our life and the sin that exists in it with what he said in his book and what he's told us about how to live our lives. We all are going to face that. That's ultimate truth. At one point, one of those things has to be true when we die. They can't all happen at the same time, right? It's, it's not logical, and yet that's what the world has just swallowed up, this idea. It talks about having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does a breastplate do? It, it covers our heart, our vital organs, right? But, but our heart, and how does the devil come after our heart. Well, there's two ways he can use righteousness. One is to, to try and trick us into relying on our own righteousness, to forget about the righteousness of Christ and say, hey, you can do it. You're good enough. You're good enough. And then when we fail, he says, see, you're a failure. You're not good enough. God won't accept you. The flip side of that is to rely solely on the righteousness of Christ to the point where you say, well, uh, I've been saved by grace and mercy, so it doesn't really matter what I do. Sin's not a big deal. Jesus got it covered. He Past, present, future, sin, you know, whatever. I can, I can do this. I have, I have grace. God's not going to care, and that's, that both are deceptions from the devil, that righteousness, our righteousness is important, but we recognize that, that our righteousness is not sufficient. The righteousness of Christ has been placed upon us like a breastplate, that when we stand before God, he sees Jesus' righteousness. But that in no way diminishes our need to pursue righteous living, to live in the way that God called us to live as his children. It says, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace, I love that. Uh, gospel means good news. But sometimes we offer up a, a false gospel, a gospel of condemnation, right? You're a sinner, you're horrible. It's true, but, but if that's all that we say, you're, you're awful, you're sinful, you're in a disobedience to God. If that's what we're proclaiming, that's not the gospel of peace, Right? The gospel of peace is there is a, a good, holy, perfect creator who's our father, who loves us, who is perfect. And he created us in his image, but 
we've rebelled and sinned against him. And that sin has separated us from him and nothing we can do can close that gap. And so God closed that gap by sending his son to die for us. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross because our righteous works are not sufficient. Jesus had to sacrifice. He had to take our penalty so we could receive his reward. That's the good news. That's the peace. The idea of peace indicates that there's conflict, right? And so a gospel that's just like, Jesus loves you. Do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Whatever makes you feel good, whatever makes you happy. That's not the gospel of peace because that doesn't acknowledge that there's conflict. And saying to somebody, you're a sinner, you're awful, uh, you're headed to hell, and uh, good luck. Right? That's not the gospel either. That's a gospel of condemnation. But the true gospel says that there is conflict, there is, there is distance between us and God. But God has bridged the gap through Jesus, and because of him, we can have salvation. But what does it take? It takes us acknowledging our sin, repenting, and turning back to him. Like the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son could have remained in that pigsty for the rest of his life. He could have just stayed there and wallowed in his sin and said, hey, this is, this is the life for me. But no, he recognized this is, this is horrible. This is wretched. This is sin. I need to return to my father. And so there's a call on us to repent and to return to him and to live forever with him in the kingdom. He says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. There will come a time in your life where no matter how prepared you are, how studied up you are, how much you've, you've insulated yourself, that you will come to a moment where all you have to stand on is faith. Everything that you thought you built up, your protections, your security, uh, your friends, the people who got your back, it will all dissipate. And all that you'll be left with is your faith in God, where you will have to say, God, do I trust you and do I believe you or not? That's when we're most... Uh, vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy, and that's where we need the shield. And this is not talking about like a little Captain America shield, right? This is talking about a full body shield, this thing that would protect every bit of us, that extinguishes every flaming dart that the enemy throws at us. Do you have that kind of faith? Are you using that kind of faith? Talks about the helmet of salvation. What does a helmet do? It protects our head. It keeps our mind protected and safe, right? And so the, the devil loves to come and mess with Christians and say, are you really saved? Will Jesus really accept you? He knows what you've done. Is what you've done, you know, is the cross really sufficient? He, he likes to mess with us. We did a whole study on the, the book of 1 John. I encourage you to read it. Where in, in that book, John says, I want you to know that you know that you know that you are saved. And you can know this. And it's going to lead you to live a fruitful and effective life. The devil wants us to just keep going, am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I saved? Am I not saved? He doesn't want us to lift our head up and say, what is God doing around me? How can he use me for his kingdom? Because I know that I have salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, it's the one offensive weapon that we have. It's the Word of God. And in this sense, he doesn't use logos, the written word, but he talks about rhema, the spoken word, like, the, like Jesus spoke the word. When, when the devil attacked him, when the devil tempted him, Jesus spoke God's truth to him. Do you have God's Word embedded in your heart so that when you're tempted, when you're attacked, that you're speaking the truth of God's Word? Not your own truth, not your own experience, but, but it's God's Word planted in you so that it can come out when you're under attack. And then he talks about praying at all times. Our active duty is prayer. We're stationed at the prayer post. We've got all of our munitions. We've got our things. Where are you sending me? To the front lines, to the mail room, to uh, supply, to the, to the kitchen. Where am I going, God? He says, I want you to go to the prayer station. I want you to go. One commentator said, uh, most Christians practice some prayer. He talks about four alls in here. We practice prayer. We, we pray some of the time with some sorts of prayer, with some perseverance for some of the saints. But he says here, no, pray all the time. 
with all types of prayer. We talk about the Acts method of prayer, right? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. You look at the Lord's prayer, that there's, there's different ways to pray. If our prayer life is limited to, God, I want this, 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 this. Please keep this person safe, this person safe. Amen, right? That's, that's one type of prayer. He says pray with all types of prayer, with all perseverance. Are you struggling with something? Yeah, did you pray about it? Yeah, I prayed once. There was, like, I took 10 minutes and I prayed about it, right? Did you pray about it again? Did you pray about it again? Did you pray about it again? For all the saints, not just your family, but, but for everyone. I, I spoke with somebody this week, and they said, hey, why don't we take some time to pray for the, the families in Charleston for, for what happened? I was like, we could have done that, and, we, and maybe we should have done that on Sunday morning, right? But are we praying for them? Are we praying for the Christians that are being persecuted by ISIS? Are we praying for the house churches and the Christians in, in China and the church that's rapidly growing in Brazil? And, and are we praying for the church plants in this area that we've had a part of? Are we praying? Are we praying? Are we praying for all the saints? Start thinking about it that way. Some people are like, man, I can't imagine praying for 15 minutes. When you think about it this way, you can't. Like, I, I don't know that I could limit myself to that, right? I'm preaching to myself here, too. I'm with you, right? I'll share with you briefly. You know, this week in the news, obviously, there's, a, there's an opportunity. Uh, there was something that happened that, that it will put this to the test. All right, let's make this really practical, right? And so just this week, the Supreme Court voted five to four to allow uh, gay marriage in, in all states, right, that, that it has to be honored. And so what I observed on Facebook is a lot of, um, a lot of troubling responses to that <laughs> on every side, right? Um, and you might say, well, Ezra, I didn't see you post anything on Facebook. Yeah, I, it's because I'm not sure that Facebook is the right place to have that discussion. And so if that's your conviction, that's fine, and I'm, I'm cool with that, but... None of us would walk into a room of friends and acquaintances and say, Leviticus, da, 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 right? We wouldn't just walk in and just shout out a single verse. Like, in, in social media, you lose all context. You lose the heart. You lose, the, you lose what's underneath of it. But, but let's apply this sword, uh, let's, let's apply this armor to that situation, right? Is what we say grounded in truth? Is, is how we respond grounded in God's word? Have you read God's word to see what it says about this issue? Have you looked through and researched and, and read through and and question, God, what do you have to say about this? Because there's some really uh, specific passages that deal with this. And, and if you haven't, I'd encourage you to go to Romans chapter 1 and just read through Romans chapter 1 and say, what does Romans chapter 1 have to say about this issue? Right? And you might be, well, Ezra, I read a blog that somebody said that, that it's totally compatible with a, the with a Christian worldview. To, to, um, I, I've read books. I've read blogs. I've read everything that there is. And I think that the it's really hard to disconnect Romans chapter 1 from, from what God's heart is on this issue, what he's saying. Because he connects it all the way back to creation, his perfect initial creation, and he connects it to idolatry. And so if you're wrestling with this, I encourage you to begin wrestling there. Wrestle with what God's word says. And if you want to talk about I would love to talk about this with you. Um, continuing forward, righteousness. Are you resting on the righteousness of Christ? Do we recognize that we're all sinners? <laughs> Does the discussion flow out of the fact that say, like, hey, this is the truth, but guess what? Here's the other truth. I'm a sinner. I'm screwed up. I'm messed up. And so if I'm calling you a sinner, I'm calling myself a sinner, too. We're all sinners. We all need salvation, but we've got to recognize the only way that we know whether we're a sinner or not is if we look here. Is it the gospel of peace? Is our desire reconciliation? Is our desire to see peace? Are we wrestling against flesh and blood? That's what I've seen a lot this week. I've seen a lot of wrestling against flesh and blood, demonizing other people, calling other people evil and wrong, and trying to fight with flesh and blood. We're not battling against flesh and blood. We're battling against spiritual forces. And we're called to bring the gospel of peace. Sin separates, but Jesus unites us to God. 
He loves the broken, the persecuted, the outcast, those who've been bullied, those who've been put down, those who are struggling. Jesus came for them. He wants to share love. Are you a minister of the gospel of peace or the gospel of I'm right? (laughs) The gospel of I'm right and you're wrong, right? Faith. Do you have faith that God is at work, that in all of this, that he's working to redeem and fulfill his plan, that the victory has been won by him, or is your, is your faith shaken by the things that are going on? And where do you look ultimately for salvation? Is it to Jesus? Is the word of God, as I already talked about, the truth and the, and the word of the Spirit, the sword, is, is that what we're using? Are we speaking God's word? And are we praying about it? Are we praying and praying and praying? Are you praying 100 times for every post? (laughs) Your prayer to post ratio should be about 100 to 1 probably. I made that up. It might be 1,000 to 1. It might be a million to 1. Maybe you should cancel Facebook. I'm just saying. Well, Paul ends, and he asked them something amazing. He said, I wrote this letter, all this doctrine, all this truth, but I ask you to pray for me that I would speak boldly and clearly. Well, Paul, you just wrote this amazing letter inspired by the Word of God. You need... The Spirit's worth you? Yeah, I need the Spirit to lead me so that I speak truth. And connecting it all to discipleship, look what he says about Tychicus. He says, I've sent you all this truth, but I'm not just throwing truth on you. I'm sending a brother to come into your life, to encourage you, to come alongside you, to share what's happening in my life. How's that applying to Paul? He's in prison. How does this truth apply to him? How does this truth apply to you? How does this truth apply to your life? Help me understand and explain it, that Tychicus is our example, that we're called to take this letter that Paul wrote and to take it into people's lives and be the one who bears it and say, hey, let me, let me encourage you. Let me speak through this with you. How awesome is that? And so as I conclude, I want to ask you, uh, there's so much more I want to say, but I'm out of time. <laughs> let me say this real quickly. Um, is your love uncorruptible? Because when you look in the book of Revelation, uh, there's the stern word to the church of Ephesus. He says, you've lost your first love. You're still battling for what's right, but you've lost the love. Do we have love that's incorruptible in our hearts? So conclusion, are you going to battle without armor? Are you failing to utilize the weapons and the protection that God has given you if you're a believer? Are you standing firm? Or are you foolishly trying to rush in and attack when God's calling you to just stand? Stand in strength and to allow him to to work, his strength to drive you. Is your love incorruptible? challenge you, Christian, if that's where you're at today. You know, these things are true. And, and if you're here and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, your head is unprotected. You don't have the helmet of salvation upon you, and so the devil can come and attack you. And I want to encourage you that today is the day that Jesus wants to offer you full and total for forgiveness. And in a moment here, we're going to say a prayer. And I'm going to invite you to say that prayer and to just submit, acknowledge, I have sinned, but God, I want you to save me. And I receive the gift of salvation And I make you not only my Savior, but my Lord, and I will follow you all my days. So I'd like to invite you to bow your heads in prayer. Band, I'll invite you to come forward. And I'm going to ask you to do something a little different here today. I'm going to ask all you guys to say this prayer out loud with me. If you're a believer, you're just affirming something that you already believe. But if you're not a believer, this is your opportunity to profess a truth, maybe for the first time. And so if you'll pray out loud with me, say this. Heavenly Father, I recognize that I have sinned. And my sin has separated me from you. But I thank you for Jesus. That he has bridged the gap between you and I.
I receive your free gift of salvation. I repent of my sin. And I ask you to empower me to live a life that glorifies you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed just for a minute, if you prayed that for the first time, if you have put your faith in Christ today, would you just raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Once you keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I just want to challenge those that have raised your hand. Send me an email this week. Come see me after the service. Let's talk. I want to speak with you. I want to to help you understand what it means to follow Jesus.